everybody and welcome back to another episode of the bloodlust and bourbon podcast my name is steven i'm hannah i'm troy and if you're listening to this on the day it releases happy halloween uh it's both a fun day and a sad day because spooky season's over but it's also the best day of the year so enjoy your halloween and for our halloween pick this year i picked sinister um possibly one of the scariest movies i've personally ever seen but we'll get into that later. Um, before then, let's talk about a little bit about what we've been watching. Hannah? Yeah, so I, I was going to mention a couple of things that I watched. Uh, one of them, I'm willing to bet that, Troy, you've never heard of it. I definitely had not. One of my coworkers told me about this when I told her that I like weird movies. And that is Border, a 2018 Swedish film. Hmm. And it's it's one of those where it's hard to talk a lot about because there's there's so many like little reveals that I wouldn't want to give away. But essentially, it's about a woman who works as a customs officer because she has this amazing, like amazingly developed sense of smell. And she looks very different. Uh, she said she was always told she has an, an extra chromosome or a different chromosome. She's not supposed to have Down syndrome. It's clearly like there's something different going on about her that is not, you know, not something you would see every day. Uh, but she works as a customs officer because she can smell fear or paranoia or just any kind of strong feelings and can tell when people are trying to smuggle something onto a plane. Early on, she uh, actually busts someone for having a bunch of child porn on their SIM card on their phone. So like it's not just like a drug sniffing dog. She can smell all kinds of stuff. She meets another person who looks like her, but a guy as he's coming through and they sort of strike up a friendship. You get then more reveals about what the two of them are because they're not human. And you get a lot more of um, her trying to investigate this kitty porn ring that she has sort of stumbled into. Mm. It is deeply bizarre. Uh, it's a crime drama fantasy is what IMDb has it as. And I, like, I wouldn't say it's exactly horror, but it's it's at least on the edge. Like there is some weird stuff. There's, you know, some body horror kind of stuff. Some 
it's almost like a dark fairy tale. Again, I hate to say too much about it because if anyone does watch it, like it's so much fun just watching on what the fuck they're what now? Like it's oh no part of it was anything that I anticipated. I never knew what was about to happen. But it was really, really good and just beautiful, beautifully shot and beautifully acted. I definitely recommend it if you're just like, hey, I want something that's gonna be really, really fucking weird. And again, it does there's a, a subplot of you know, people are making videos of children. You don't see any of them, so it's not awful, but it's definitely like a big part of the plot. So I would go into it with that in mind, but it is incredibly, incredibly good. And then I also, over the last week or so, uh, Steve and I saw House of a Thousand Corpses in the theater on its like 20 year um, release anniversary. And since then, I've just watched all of his movies, most of them for repeat visits, and The Munsters for the first time. And that was actually super cute. And like, I have no attachment to that because I never watched the show. I've never seen any of the other movies. The only thing I know about it is the song Dragula. But it's really, really cute. Maybe it's just because my standards were low, but... It, I had fun with it. It's dumb and it's schlocky, but it's like I've, you know, I've seen the stills and everything from the show. I don't know what anybody thought they were going to get. This is obviously going to be like a very weird, silly movie. And I just, I've been really impressed at what a good director Rob Zombie really is. And even more so after seeing the monsters, because I'm like, wow, this, you know, there were a couple times where I thought, okay, yeah, that feels kind of like something Zombie would do. But most of it, it's so far outside of his comfort zone. And I love that. I love that he could, you know, make something that was so bright and whimsical and nobody died and just, oh God, the dumb jokes. But yeah, that's that's more or less what I've been doing since the last time we recorded. Yeah. Troy, you had thoughts on the Munsters. You like the Munsters, right? The show, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've not seen. I don't know if I've seen every episode. I mean, I've seen a few. I I don't want. I I don't want to say I'm not a fan of the show. That's because that implies that I don't like it. I I just never really sat and watched it. But when it's on, you know, I've never disliked it. Plus, I I think it's a you know, it's a it's a sitcom I would enjoy versus other sitcoms of that time for sure. Um, so I'm very neutral, but leaning toward yeah. I, I'm a fan of the show just because it's it's horror. Um, yeah, I, I I personally wasn't um, a big fan of the movie. Nothing to do with uh, how it was visually or jokes or uh, tonally or how how that was. I think my issues with that with the movie were just um, how it like the I, I felt like it spent too much time uh, setting up the monsters it, the, the things that were weird for me is how quickly like things were resolved and i feel like i was it was jarring how the movie ended for me because i was like wait a minute it, it's because I, I only watched it once um you know last year but I, I remember just um the the pacing seemed like really weird to me like the almost the whole movie the grandpa hated herman and then it was just like click oh no they're friends i just it was <laughs> but as far as like if it would be really weird for me for people to complain about 
how it is visually or if it's not right, you know, for it, for it to be kind of the opposite of what Rob Zombie does. I think it would be really weird for people to complain about those things because I'm like, well, you're it's a monsters movie. What were you expecting? Right. You know, yeah. so that that stuff was totally fine. I I love the goofiness of it. I loved, um, you know, the aesthetic hit right for the you know, it was very much the monsters. I knew what I was getting into. It was more of a story thing. I think I was just I, I was more so craving. Um, uh, I, I was more so craving. Something set with things later in the movie i would have liked to see a bigger dynamic of like the monsters you know not understanding why their neighbors were so put off by them you know i would have liked that all that was like some of my favorite stuff in the movie oh yeah yeah that was so funny i loved it when you know it's they realize they're in a normal subdivision and that's when it's like a (laughs) horror movie that cracked me up yeah that was that was great um there were definitely parts about the movie i did enjoy it was just like the uh the weird uh, shift like it was very jarring for me but aside from that i there's definitely worse movies you could you could find to watch so i don't really have any like big negatives about it i mean i definitely thought it was too long because i was like into it and I was enjoying it and then eventually I was yeah. like okay like are we are we fucking finished yet can we be right. done but yeah no I, I could I totally get that and it makes sense especially if you know what's going on in the show like I said I didn't so it like I had no reservations on that front sure but it makes a lot of sense I liked it for what it was it, it yeah it has some pacing issues I agree with that and everything but um it was just fun to watch. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, Troy, what have you been watching? Um, a few things. Uh, most of my movie watching has been uh, Fear Fest on AMC. Uh, I've said it before. It is a, uh, I think, did I mention this on our last episode? I think I might have. Because this, we're recording this one pretty soon after the last one. Um, so, I'm not sure if we, if I mentioned it then. But um, Fear Fest, I've been watching a lot of that. And yes, it's, you know, mostly censored, except, except Creep Show, the show came on AMC, the TV channel, and they didn't bleep out anything. They said fuck on multiple occasions. And I had to rewind it because I have sling. I got a month of sling just so I could watch AMC Fear Fest because it's just really nice to, you know, with me having ADHD to try to figure out what to put on, I put on Fear Fest and just let it go. Plus, it's stuff I've already seen. So most of it, well, no, I'd say probably everything on there is something I've already seen. So I could just do other things while that's on in the back. But um, when the Creep Show show came on, they, they didn't bleep it out. So I don't know if that's, you know, was because it's on Sling. And for people who don't know what Sling is, it's like a streaming service that's cable TV. Um but anyways, um, mostly AMC, but for the stuff that I like, I, I was seeking out to watch, uh, one of those was uh, Totally Killer, which oh, have, you, yeah. have you all seen that? I've no. heard of it. Okay. Um, it's it's described like Back to the Future meets um, a slasher movie, like an 80s slasher movie. Essentially, it's this girl who... Um, She's kind of frustrated with her parents as 17 year olds are They're They are genuinely good people who want the best for her, but she's just kind of stop it, mom, kind of that sort of attitude. 
Um, and she learns that her mother back in 1987 was almost killed by this guy who killed three of her friends. And it is the, oh, excuse me, 35th anniversary, I think, in the movie. The 35th anniversary of the uh, of all of that happening. And there's a guy who does a podcast about it. And that's what the town's famous for. And, um, and what happens is the, the killer, supposedly, comes back and finishes the job and kills the mom. And so the girl... <laughs> whose best friend has somehow invented a time machine. <laughs> it goes into it. It's not just, oh, she just invented it. It's a whole thing. But it's powered by this uh, this photo booth at this uh, rundown carnival. Like, literally, it's all rundown. She's, you know, no one's there. Uh, but, but the girl's using the photo booth that's there as to, to power it up or whatever. And she gets transported back to uh, 1987 so she can try to stop the killer before um he does all the stuff so she can save her mom and it's very funny um and some of the jokes are very uh i i will say i don't know what i would not not dated but just kind of making fun of i i don't know i feel like they're kind of ham-fisted the way they're like wow the 80s were so unsafe oh my gosh i can't believe you are and they just kind of harp on that a lot and i was like okay i get it you know they were like she got like she goes into a high school and she's like oh i'm this new student if you need to like go through my records and then the you know the person in the office was just like you're fine you're registered and she's like Wow, I can't believe he just let us register. And, you know, so she keeps pointing things like that throughout the movie of how unsafe things in the 80s were. And we're like, okay, I get it. The 80s are not as regulated, I guess, as 2020. I guess this was shot in 2022, 2022, 2023. Anyways, um, but it's very fun. It's um, definitely along the lines of. <sighs> Definitely along the lines of something like, uh, oh, just what? What's what's a really fun slasher movie? Uh, the fucking um, like Better Watch Out, um, mm -hmm. or did you all ever watch uh, Scream Queens? It reminds me a lot of Scream Queens. It's well, I mean, a lot of the plot points are the same as a movie called uh, Final Girls. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm stupid. Why did yes? You're very yes. You're very correct. It's very bright, very funny. Um, kills were very basic, but were fun and fine. Um, yeah, I highly enjoyed it. I, I, I'll definitely uh, check it out again for sure. Um, I did, and there were two other ones that I wanted to mention. And I feel like they're both similar, but one is significantly better than the other. One is called Karen. And I saw that because I saw a clip from it. I'm like, wow, this is gonna be is this gonna be you know pretty decent. I watched it and I'll get to that in a second. And then the other one I watched that was very similar to it was an angry black girl. Um, oh yeah. Creates a good. monster. Oh my god, it's great. It's fantastic. I'll talk about that one first. This this uh this young black girl, um she believes that death is just uh, she believes death is a disease and can be cured. 
it, essentially it's kind of just imagine she's Frankenstein and it takes place in present day, but she's also having to deal with um, various points of um, discrimination and um, you know, her living situation. Her dad is like an amazing dad to her, but uh, he, uh, he's into drugs and he's into unsafe stuff, but at the same time, he, he wants the best for her and it, it treats these subjects very subtly and in such a good way like it, it's it's very powerful how they explore these themes and i i can't really comment on these a lot as a white man i can't and i'm not going to pretend to so I, I might not necessarily relate to it but i feel like it, it 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 seems very steeped in realism like i can imagine this being like her situation being very real i i recognize that as you know, I can really imagine the thing. But anyways, I didn't watch the entire movie, mostly because I was falling asleep. But I watched two thirds of it and it's fucking so good. I'm going to finish it soon. Um, and I highly recommend it. Um, it's be- it's, a, it's beautifully shot too. Um, but the antithesis of that is Karen. And okay, have you all ever heard of there are these videos that pop up on Facebook. I've uh, that's the only place I've seen them pop up. They're like morality plays uh, by this guy named Darman. No, like spelled D H A R R M A N. I think. No, I've never heard of that. Okay, they are the most. I swear to God, it seems like they are made by AI or something. They're just the most. It. I get where they're trying to explore points in these things but it seems like i don't know it just seems like it's very okay i'm it's i know i'm kind of all over the place but um in this movie karen it's literally it, it's just about this you know this woman literally named karen who is the neighbor of these um two black people who moved into their neighborhood and it's a very nice neighborhood think like kevin McAllister's house from home alone it's a nice you know neighborhood um and uh they they're great people um but karen the next door neighbor who is one of the people from orange is the new black um she is very blatantly racist and the whole movie she tries to essentially get them off of her street and it looked unhinged um and it looked like it kind of gave me vibes of uh the ever seen lakeview terrace with sam jackson and uh where he's upset because there's an interracial couple living next to him and he tries oh, to scare yeah. him away lake terrace yeah lakeview terrace yeah yes i got i got vibes of that but this movie it was I'm sorry. It was almost comical how they treated their points of racism. So imagine like a really nice big house. And there's a point where uh, the main the the main black guy has to go into um, Karen's house to wash his hands because of a stupid thing, helping her pour uh, antifreeze in her car. Who the fuck needs help pouring antifreeze in? It's literally pouring liquid into a hole. Anyways. He goes into her bathroom. He goes into her bathroom. The whole house is nice, just nice house decor. But in her bathroom, which is also very nice, there happens to be like a ceramic soap dispenser with a, a Confederate flag on it. And then like Confederate 
soldiers, like pictures, like black and white Confederate pictures in her bathroom. And there's no other decor like that in the house. It made me laugh out loud because I'm like, okay, I get it. I we get she's race. It was just, it was like watching a cartoon. It was like buffoonish how like they're trying to 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 you know they she's I'm like yes, I totally get she's a racist piece of shit. No question there. Um, there's a conversation her her you know really horrible looking police officer brother just imagine like the standard really shitty balding fat cop and then somebody makes a comment about how he's hot and i'm like literally nobody in a movie would think this guy is hot anyways and this is coming from a i'm not going into that he wasn't he was gross maybe it's because i hate cops anyways he was talking to a cop who was trying to call him out on his racism and he's the, the bad cop's like I'm a part of a fraternal order who protects their own. I'm like, who fucking wrote this movie? I am all for movies exploring and trying to do their best to shit on racists. And for that point, for that part of the movie, I loved it. I'm all for Karen. You know, I'm going to spoil it for you. Karen gets killed. The cop gets fucking shot in the head. It's great. That's the sad, that's satisfying but god damn, some of the movie, some of the parts of the movie were just I, I I laughed out loud for how poorly this movie was written. I was just like, who the fuck? I I I swear AI had to write this movie because I, I don't believe it was a human being or somebody who isn't <laughs> isn't a person of color wrote it sound it, that's what it feels oh, yeah. like. It feels like somebody who's not a person of color wrote the movie. I don't know how else to describe it. It just was, it was just cartoon. Like I was, you know, um, like I said, uh, an angry, an angry black girl creates a monster. That movie t- did the same stuff Karen did. And it was so good. It was fucking excellent. Excellent. It was like, um, you know, how excellent, like, uh, you know, get out was with exploring themes of, um, cultural appropriation and racism same same thing for for angry angry black girl um, but anyways um, those were the ones that i watched that uh, were notable um yeah five nights at freddy's is coming out soon i might see that i don't know, know about you all um oh i'm gonna see it I'm, yeah I'm... are you gonna stream it or are you gonna go see it in theaters we'll see what what's going on at the time but i'm gonna try to see it in theaters okay cool i might see it in theaters too anyways how about you steven what you've been watching oh man well i'm mainly watching movies for class which includes a lot of noir and films in spain um but on the horror front uh hannah and i've been watching a lot of rob zombie movies recently um so we we went and saw house of a thousand corpses and uh on the big screen which was fantastic obviously everybody loves house then we watched the devil's rejects which is also just fantastic yeah of course um, and then i we watched halloween and halloween 2 of his um i've always liked halloween one uh i've always thought that it's different enough to warrant being you know a remake uh and i like what it does um i get that it's a completely different thing and it part of what they don't some people don't like is that it explains michael a little more but i don't mind that in this you know 
Um, I, I do like the original better, obviously, but I still really enjoy it. And then Halloween 2 I've always had some problems with. Um, but this round, I actually like, I liked it a lot better than I thought I would. Um, there's still parts where I'm like, eh, I didn't really need that, but, um, it still was, it was still was much, much better. And I wish everybody would kind of revisit this movie because it is really like a lot of people have been saying it really is doing what 2018 wanted to do or what 2018 did also, but did it in a, a better way. Um, showing trauma, trauma in teenagers, especially yeah. dealing with something like this. Um, and, and it really explores the psyche of a final girl um, a year after, you know, the, the traumatic event happened. Um, and I think that really makes this movie interesting. Like I said, I get a lot of people don't like it. Um, I just think people should revisit it and kind of um, rethink it. So that was my big one. I know, Hannah, you have thoughts on that. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm probably just gonna pick it at some point. Um, I I really like I like Rob Zombie's Halloween movies better than any of the original run or sequels or requels or whatever the hell all the other Halloween stuff. Uh, and yeah, every time I watch H two, I like it a little bit better. Uh, also, just watching them all in a week like that, goddamn, Rob Zombie is obsessed with Rocky Horror. And it's so funny. Like, he's obviously got the the girls in costumes, like Rocky Horror costumes in Halloween too, which I love. But every movie has just chunks where I'm like, wow, you like, you lifted that straight from Rocky and it's so funny. And now I want more than anything for him to do a remake of that. But like, you know, full of the cursing cannibal rednecks, because that would be great. Yeah, yeah. I want a cursing cannibal redneck frank inverter give that <laughs> i'm all for that i agree with you too hannah it's, it's crazy enough i've grown a bit more to like halloween too and even the first one way more than i did say like five or so years ago i was kind of ballparking here but yeah I, I i do like them a lot more i think that's with me calm down with being so vehement about things but i've i've grown to appreciate them more for um, what they are for sure. Yeah, so. and I just I'm gonna pair uh, Hannah earlier. I'm a big Rob Zombie defender. Um, sure. There's definitely like he's definitely had some misses. I think Three from Hell's a miss. Um, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. But I like he but, he gets to make the movies he wants to make. Like yeah. I I feel mm-hmm. like he's making what he wants to make, and so that's all that matters. Like it doesn't he's his movies don't seem like there's studio interference. He's like, this is what I want to make. I'm going to fucking make it. And he does. I mean, he, he'll let a movie sit on the shelf for years. I mean, he <laughs> passed a thousand corpses in 2000 and it wasn't released until 2003. So he'll let it sit for years before he, he edits it uh, for, uh, for a uh, studio. Mm-hmm. I could respect that. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move into this. Uh, let's move in and talk about this movie. So we're going to go in and talk about Scott Derrickson's Sinister. Spoiler alert. New details today in the grisly murders of a local family found earlier this week. I didn't want to move here. We couldn't afford to live in the old house anymore. Plus, the new story I'm writing is here. Is the story a good one this time? I'm going to write the best book that anybody's ever read. 
I got a really good feeling about this. <laughs> You gotta be kidding me. Family hanging out. Barbecue 79. That's the family who lived here. You think these are serial murders? I don't know. First one I found dates back to the 60s. The only link between all these cases is the symbol. The symbol is associated with a pagan deity named Bagul. He consumes the souls of human children. I have never been onto something this big before. Early Christians believed that Bagul actually lived in the images themselves and that they were gateways into his realm. Children exposed to the images were especially vulnerable to Bagul's abduction. Sweetheart, what are you doing? Painting. I wanted to paint her picture. Who are you talking about? Stephanie. She used to live here. What's the matter? What's happened? Get the kids. Pack the car. We have to leave here now. So, before we do everything, I'm going to just read a real quick synopsis. Um, it's it's real quick. So, crime writer Ellison Oswald moves his family into a house where a horrific crime took place earlier, but his family doesn't know. He begins researching the crime in hopes of writing a book about it. Oswald examines video footage that he finds in the house to help him in his research, but he soon discovers more than he bargained for. That's a good way, I think, of explaining it without giving anything away. Um, so that's kind of what we're dealing with in this movie. Let's get into it. Troy, what do you think of this movie? Um, I love this movie. I fucking love Sinister so much. Um, I loved it before I watched it again for this, um, but... Every time I watch it, it's, I don't know if I would say, I'm like, oh, I love them more, but it's just like, it reminds me, like, this is fantastic. It, what I love, I think, so much about this movie is because when I first saw it years ago, it, I knew it came out relatively around the same time that, like, The Conjuring and Insidious and, like, James Wan ghost movies were coming out. And so yeah. I was wholly under the impression that this movie was going to be very similar to those movies. And I was wrong. I was very wrong um, and very pleasantly surprised. And um, I don't think I was really prepared to for the things that I saw. In the I wasn't prepared to see what I saw. Like I wasn't prepared for the, uh, the snuff stuff. We'll get because I, I was expecting just uh, scary ghost man, 
and he was going to be popping out of the walls and the shadows. And I was not expecting it to be much more depth and to be beautiful and every, like so much, there's so many things we'll get into. It. There's so many things about this movie that, um, that I love. And I will defend it too, as one of the best, like one of the, one of the best examples of like very good jump scares in a horror movie because this movie sure as hell doesn't rely on jump scares to be scary at all but there are jump scares in the movie and they're fantastic um so yeah i i love this movie all right hannah what do you think i also love this movie uh the first time i saw it i slept with the lights on for like three days because <laughs> the ghoul freaked me out so much uh my uh my friend kept going you don't have children. That's how he gets you. You don't have to worry. I'm like, oh yeah, because logic will help me through this. But it still freaks me out. And it's been probably at least 10 years since I saw it because I watched it for the first time not long after it came out. And you know, I sleep with the lights off now, but it still is so effective. I think the soundtrack is a big part of that because it's so unsettling. And Ethan Hawke is just really, really good and believable as this guy who is, first of all, just a complete asshole, but is also sinking into madness. And I really like that kind of story where someone is just like obsessed and losing their mind. So that's really fun for me. And it also has the the theme that you should not get married. You should not have children. So that's always a, a plus for me. <laughs> Yeah, we all listen to the that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, we're all three in the same category here. I absolutely love this movie, which is you know why I picked it. Um, one day I'm just gonna pick a movie because I hate it. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> I'm all for doing that. That is that's yeah. a great idea. We just shit talk movies together as much as we praise them. Yeah, and uh, here. Just wanted to put that out there, but I love this movie for a lot of different reasons. Um, it's so well made. It's it's truly honestly scary. Uh, it's it's yes. it's hard for me to say a movie is scary like a horror movie. Like I'm so desensitized to it. But like there are moments in this that I'm still like, yeah, this is actually scary. Um, and I like how, like you were saying, Troy in the time of the conjuring and Annabelle and, and possession movies were kind of going up and down. And Scott Derrickson obviously made a possession movie before this. Um, I think it was before this, right? Um, what's before this? Sorry. I didn't catch that. Oh God. What's the other, I think movie? this is the same year as the first conjuring. Aren't they both 2012? No, the other movie Scott Derrickson made, um, Oh, black phone. No, it's a possession movie. Oh, oh uh, it's a famous yeah. position movie the exorcism of emily rose yes that's it yeah um yeah one of the things that i really like about this movie and we'll get into it more is that it's not a christian movie and i really i really appreciate that it's not a christian movie yeah he's a pagan god yeah it, we don't need to get into you know a lot of times when i watch a possession or a haunted movie now um and, and it was made in you know, any time before 
you know, 1990 or something, I'm just kind of roll my eyes when I see the Catholic church roll up because I, I do not trust the Catholic church. I think they're bigger villains than most of the demons um, half the time. So like, I really like that it gets out of that and creates its own thing outside of it. That doesn't really tie itself to any religions um, that we would know. So that's one of the big things that I really like about it. Besides the fact that it's just so well-made and the tension so well-built. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get into this. I want to get into, before we get into the plot, I want to get into the development, um, design and production of this movie. Um, so the writer, C. Robert Cargill, he claims that, um, his inspiration for Sinister came after seeing, um, the ring from 2002 and he had a nightmare that had something in it with the ring that had something to do with the ring. And he came up with basically the plot for sinister and was in basically a new take on the boogeyman. Um, so that's, I think that's really interesting. The, the ring is 10 years before this, but it's, it's such a long lasting and, and strong film for a lot of people that it's still influencing and, and creating and you could see like a lot of like, you know, the kind of J-horror curse in this film um, when you watch this movie, because I mean, obviously not to not to spoil the whole thing, but yeah, no one, no one but the daughter survives in this movie. And the curse goes on, which is something that is very much an aspect of J-horror. Um, so, yeah. He brought this to the co-writer and um, director, Scott Derrickson. And this is, is one of my favorite fun facts I've ever seen. Their original concept for Bagul was to be like Willy Wonka. <laughs> um. Oh, no, I can see it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you mean looks wise or plot wise, but that, yeah, he's sort of like a really dark, darker Willy Wonka. Hey, I don't know if that makes him less scary for you. <laughs> I don't know. Willy Wonka's terrifying. So, Willy, yeah, no, Willy Wonka's a fucking criminal. Oh, yeah. So, Cargill was big on the idea. And initially wanted to keep the idea of like a sinister or a, a scary Willy Wonka. Um, feels like an oxymoron. Yeah. It feels like you could just watch Willy Wonka if you wanted to have a scary Willy Wonka. I'm just going to put that there. Um, but he also, they were starting to be like, oh, no, we think audiences might find that silly. I kind of agree with that. Um, so Derrickson to find uh, inspiration, typed the word horror into Flickr. Uh, if, that, if that tells you um, that dates this film. Oh, wow. Flickr. I know that. <laughs> and searched through 500,000 images. Um, he narrowed it down to 15, including a photograph of a bagul and was tagged Natalie. Um <laughs> Cargill just looked at, at whatever's called Natalie and just said, what if it's just this guy? And what if we, you know, we just made it this guy. So they just kind of like uh, lifted it. 
uh, he and Derrickson contacted the photographer and purchased the rights. So good for them. They could have just been like, oh, I didn't steal that. But they didn't. They purchased the rights for $500. Um, and they well, they really liked the, uh, the look of it because it reminded them of a black metal band. And I made that <laughs> comment tonight while we were watching it. And I was like... Yeah, they he really does look like he would just be like some the like edgiest member of a black metal band. Um, oh, big time. The one day you're like, you know what? I think just just stay away from me. Like you go over there. Um so yeah, that's where the concept of Bagul comes from. It went from sinister Willy Wonka to someone named Natalie in a black metal band. Somehow it created a, a creature that is so scary that Hannah still can't look at him. <laughs> um, wow. So once we got into filming, um, there's not a lot really on what happened. It, it was autumn of 2011. They cast Ethan Hawke, Juliet Rylance, um, Fred Thompson, who is uh, resting in piss currently. And um, what's his name? Who is deputy so-and-so Hannah? Uh, James Ransom. Yes. James Frankly, Ransom. he's the best one. Yes. Uh, and then we got Vincent D'Onofrio playing the occult expert. He's uncredited in the movie. Well, we're weird. crediting him on this podcast. Yeah. Cause he's, he's so notable. It's like, it's Vincent D'Onofrio, but he's not credited in the movie for some reason. Um, while filming, they decided that, or no, not while filming, in an interview while filming it, they agreed that, um, Ellison Oswalt's name came from writer Harlan Ellison and Patton Oswalt. Okay. So I kind of figured Oswalt, like that's such a weird last name that that had to come from Patton Oswalt. Um, so I was kind of glad to be right on that, frankly. Um, Hannah, do you want to tell mm -hmm. us a story about Angela Bettis almost being in this movie? Yes, I will happily tell that story. So she's in some deleted scenes. Uh, last time I looked, they weren't available like on YouTube, but they're on the DVD and presumably the Blu-ray. Uh, they shot some with her as the very disheveled next door neighbor who knew the Stevensons before they died and who kind of fills in Ellison a little bit on the background of the house. Uh, Cargill and um, Derrickson had come up with this character. Derrickson and Angela Bettis are friends and he had repeatedly asked her, will you be in my movie? Will you be in my movie? Look, I've got this part. It's just for you. She came, stayed in an apartment that they provided for her, shot these scenes, got bed bugs in the process. Oh, and no. then he was like, oh, you know what? Actually, this is messing up the flow of my movie, so we're not going to use it, but thanks. And he's like, oh, we're still friends. <laughs> so, well, good for her because I would have killed you. <laughs> but I don't know if we'll talk about it later when it comes up or not, but like, those scenes are so good and it would have been like so helpful to have them in the movie. And the whole thing is annoying beyond all belief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like Scott Derrickson. I like Scott Derrickson movies. Like I've had bed bugs before just to put that out there. 
Um, and they are a goddamn pain in the ass to get rid of. Oh my and god, yeah. It's a nightmare, and it's mentally taxing to the point where you feel like you're just never going to get over it. And I could not imagine coming to do like three scenes and getting bed bugs in the process and then having the director go, eh, we're going to cut you out. Like, friend or not, I, I would be, I would get over it eventually, but I would be pretty upset <laughs> at it. Um, but she's not, she's probably a better person than I am. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was kind of wild to hear them talk about. Um, so, yeah. Um, so let's get into this plot. Um, so this movie starts with one of the uh, snuff film shots of the family hanging. And it looks like all you see is just a saw cutting it off. Um, it's kind of a weird thing to see at first because you're like, what the fuck is <laughs> going on here? Like these people like it. I can't think of any other movie off the top of my head where before you even meet the main character, like, like, like 30 seconds into the movie, four people are dead. Like four people off the bat are dead. You know, four people have died, period. And I can't think, can you think of any other movie that, that kills that many people off? Like, like in the first shot. No. no. Like and it's really kind of yeah, it's kind of like off-putting here cuz you just you can't see anybody doing it. You can see the saw but you can't see anybody doing it. And it's it's really creepy. But then we cut into the actual film. Um and that is Elson Oswald who is a true crime writer and a bad one at that. Um <laughs> moves into a home in the fictional town of Chatford, Pennsylvania. So there we go. We figured out what state it's in. Um, with his wife Tracy and 12 year old son Trevor and their 7 year old daughter Ashley Uh, so none of these people know uh, except for Ellison that uh, that the people that were murdered in the opening were in this house feels like something you should probably tell your whole family before you move them there it immediately makes Ellison a bad person, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't, you know. Because, so. I mean, in this opening scene, like, like Tracy is already, like, kind of being like, we're not moving, like, three houses down from a crime scene. And you see him kind of stutter and go, well, no, 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 no. And it's like, yeah, but it's much worse, asshole. Like, yeah. This is one of the only times you see Fred Thompson in it. He's the sheriff or the police chief. Nobody likes this opening. Might as well just be like, everybody hates Ellison because he's a jackass. <laughs> um, so his whole goal is to write about this while living in the house that it happened and tried to learn about what happened to Stephanie, the girl that's missing. Um, do you have any? Do y'all have any thoughts on this opening scene and how he interacts with Tracy and with Fred Thompson's character, the uh, sheriff? I think you're almost supposed to think like, "Oh, look at this poor henpecked guy! Like, 
he's up against all these odds. His wife doesn't want to be there. His kids don't want to be there. The town is already against him. But especially after you've watched it once, it's just like, they're all right. You're being a dick to your family. You're dragging them around all over the place because you want fame. And then the sheriff is an asshole. Like there's, there's no way around that. But also I think he probably, he doesn't want the sensationalism there. Like we talked, you know, when we watched the the movie earlier, there's a scene where towards the end, uh, deputy so-and-so says like, I live here. I care about solving this. You know, he knew the Stevensons at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you got to figure that is the sheriff's position as well, that this is his town. He, he cares about it. I don't think it's only that he's an asshole, even though he definitely is. Like he's, he is trying to protect the place from being made more of a spectacle in a place that's already had all this trauma recently. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it's hard not to think that the, the cop's an asshole because it's Fred Thompson. It's like Fred Thompson. Movie. Yeah, he's wasn't he trying to run for president? Yeah, he's a big yeah. he was a big and uh neocon conservative uh Bush supporting fuck who ran for yeah. president and got absolutely nowhere. Um and now he's he did, dead. Though. So sometimes good things do happen. Um but so yeah, it, it's pretty obvious that there's tension going on between the town and the family and Ellison and Tracy and and then like the kids are their own thing where they have tension with both of their parents. Um, so pretty, pretty fast into the film, pretty quick. Uh, Ellison goes up to the attic, finds the box um, that contains a scorpion, which is kind of. Now that I know it's Pennsylvania, if I would have known it was Pennsylvania to begin with, I'd have been like, ooh, a scorpion. Like, they don't really have scorpions. Um, it's one of those. Right. It's one of those attic scorpions. Yeah. Man, I hate yeah, when I get attic know. scorpions. I know. It's <laughs> such a terrible, regular problem to have. But of course, <laughs> once later on down the road, when we see the medieval uh, drawings and everything, we see the scorpion and the snake and there are symbols of Bagul and all that um but right now it's just a scorpion um yeah and of course he does the natural thing of just killing the scorpion i don't know if i could do that i don't know if i could get close enough to a scorpion to do anything i would just jump and probably fall back and fall down the stairs or something (laughs) i would have moved right back out then but ghoul wouldn't have had a shot yeah never mind guys get back in the truck hey uh so it's the scorpion's house now but um, there's a projector. I mean, it might as well just have a sticker, sticky note on it that says, watch me. Um, each labeled as home movies. Uh, so these are when we get into the snuff films. Um, so the first one, the first one we see is the one that happens at the house, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's the one where you finally see, like, he finally is realizing, oh, this is something big. Um, And instead of being like, this is evidence, I should call someone and tell them. (laughs) He goes, ching Yeah, he says, nope. (laughs) And uh, that, if it doesn't get you killed by your daughter, um, we'll get you put in jail. 
So yeah, he definitely committed like a, a string of crimes right there. Um, withholding evidence, tampering with evidence, all this different shit. Um, but he watches it and then he just watches another one. What I always get these orders mixed up. I just fucking watched the movie like not even <laughs> an hour ago. I think the second one was the car burning. Is it the car burning? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and each one of these gets worse and worse. Troy, you said you really like these, yeah. uh, these home movies. What do you like about these home movies? Um, so the way that they're shot, just the way that they're shot presented, uh, even the audio is incredible about them. I do know they were shot on actual Super 8 um, film, uh, which adds to it it's just really nice um it's really nice that it you know it's authentic it is truly authentic it's not you know filmed with uh, a really nice expensive camera then edited to look that way no it's truly shot and later digitized i guess to um get the the true effect of that and the grittiness adds such a depth to these movies this is such a gateway this it's it's such a gateway to more extreme horror because these are snuff films these are these are fucking snuff films and they feel like that's what you're watching they truly feel like you're watching something that you're not supposed to be watching and then like i said the audio the music that's added to it really elevates it even more and and they're very simple you know simple death well not they're not simple i mean they're pretty you know they're pretty um elaborate how they're set up i guess but it you know it's slit throats drownings um the burning the hanging those are all like very simple deaths but like god damn it's you know it's great because even though those are just simple ways to die as far as like horror movies are concerned they're done so goddamn effectively um and you, and, you, got, you got the most infamous one out of them too, which really is a jump scare in itself. The lawnmower one. The lawnmower one. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's the best. You don't. And I don't even care that you don't see it. You can't. Like, I mean, I you see it, but you, you you don't see like the you know blood and guts. And no, stuff. you don't. But you don't need to see it. it. It makes me wince anyway. His reaction. His fucking. <laughs> I love that he, he drinks straight out of the bottle every fucking time he watches one of these things. It's like, <laughs> chug, 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 chug. But no, his reaction to the lawnmower one, because that is just that that is a, such a perfect example of not, you know, you don't have to see what's going on for you to be completely repulsed by this. Like, it's such a horrifying, gruesome thing. And the fact that it looks so real. And I've it's, been Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I've been harping for years about the sound in this movie. I had a friend yeah. um, and I watched this with him and he like felt like he was going to get sick from this movie. And it wasn't the visuals for him. It was the sound. The sound just messed with him so much that he literally was like, he, I watched him gag um, and have to go like, go to the bathroom real quick. He, he didn't, I don't think he got sick, but it, like he didn't know if he could finish the movie and it, it feels dramatic. You know, you always hear these movies being like, oh, you'll barf if you watch it, you know, the barf bag gimmick and all this stuff. But like, 
I know so many people. I mean, I posted on Twitter just watching this and somebody said they had to like have somebody go um, follow them to their car and check because they were scared. <laughs> like this, this movie scares people. And I think the sound has a lot to do with why it scares people. Yeah. Agreed. Sorry, Troy, what were you, what were you saying about the sound too? No, um, just the it just how eerie it makes it it just some the i guess just the sound design and i i compare it you know comparing it to the second one as well which i do like that sound it's just more i don't know if i say subtle in this one than the second one and it's something about it it's just so so perfect as far as just ambient noise or just minimal it just it's done so I don't know how it's crazy. I don't know exactly how I want to describe it. It's just, it just adds to uh, the realism. It's, it, it can be so easy to detract from, you know, the, how real it looks by having terrible sound and just kind of the kind of soundscapiness of it uh, truly adds an extra little oomph to what you're watching because like i said yeah. this it's so hard it is so hard to to recreate you know say uh like the blair witch project as far as like a movie truly looking real like you're watching a real life thing and this is a movie that is shot like a like a um just a standard film is shot and but it inserts so we know it's not, it's very much not real when you're watching like Ethan Hawke and his family and um, officer so-and-so, but like when it goes to the, the super eight stuff, it, 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 I can't, it's just crazy how real it seems in a movie. That's obviously not real. Um, it's, it just does such an excellent job. Well, speaking of deputy so-and-so, um, so right after watching two of these movies, uh, he 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 uh, gets a hold of uh, deputy so and so who is going to be deputy so and so, and they start to put together that like these murders are taking places in different parts of the country at different times, and and I think deputy so and so says something along the lines of like this you know this isn't possible like he would be like seventy something now, um, and. Yeah, like, I mean, if you look at the math, like, the earliest one we see is back in 1966, and this is 2012. That's, mm. you know, most serial killers do not last that long and continue to be killing. Um, So it's it's pretty obvious from the, I think it's pretty obvious from about the beginning that this is something supernatural, right? Like, this is not just some person doing this. Um, And... So they find out also that a child's disappearing following every murder. Um, and they also discover, and before the Stevenses moved to Chafford, they lived in the Miller's former house. So they're starting to put these pieces together. I Ellison's not a very good detective, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> if it weren't for Deputy So-and-so, he would still be trying to finish a bottle of bourbon while staring at, it. I don't know, people hanging. Like... He deputy so and so 
is comic relief, but he's also incredibly important um, for uh, figuring everything out. He kind of is the person that has the information. It, it, it's it's kind of like the occult specialist professor. Um, like these people give Ellison information, but without them, he's nothing. He doesn't have anything. He's a bumbling failed writer with an alcohol problem and a family that doesn't like him. Um, who accidentally moved into a house that's going to get him killed. Like, I, I don't know how else to, to, um, to put that, you know. And poor deputy so-and-so's life is apparently so empty that he looks at this guy and just immediately develops a little man crush. Oh, he absolutely does. He's such a, I mean, <laughs> he's standing outside the house in the beginning with his book. He's ready. He wants to get it signed. It's so cute. And Ellison never even bothers to learn his name. Yeah. And like, I love it that he's deputy so-and-so. It's funny. <laughs> but also like, man, this guy is cracking your entire case for you. He's doing yeah. all of the running around. He's keeping the sheriff off your back. He's coming and checking on you in the middle of the night when your drunk ass falls out of the attic and don't even ask him his name. It's just rude. He's there for you at every step of the way um, in ways that you've already burned the bridge with your family. He's there for you. Like, so maybe treat him with some respect. And all of this guy wants is just a special thanks in the, in the book. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's not even anything great. Like it's worth it's where the author's grandma is. Like it's not, it's not, you know, it's not yeah. like any sort of any sort of real like monetary credit that he wants. He just he just wants to be recognized. And good God, man! I mean, when you get to the end, he just doesn't care about him. And if he would have listened to him and answered the phone, he probably could have saved himself. Maybe we don't know. It seems that's the thing about this movie is that like once the the things are in motion and you've seen it once and you go back again, it all feels inevitable. Like it doesn't matter if Ellison moves back to his house or if he goes and lives um, in a hotel or whatever. It it just seems like it's going to happen. Um, at the same time there, though, Ellison, or uh, the deputy so-and-so, refers Ellison to the occult specialist who is Vincent D'Onofrio, um, Professor Jonas. And this is where we start to get the background into Bagul. Um, so this is really, the whole thing is fantastic, but this is really where I start to be like, oh, no, this is different. This is what's going to make it one of my favorite movies. Um, and that's because you feel, figure out that <clears throat> Bagul is a Babylonian demigod um, who would kill entire families, take their children, consume their souls, um, and all that. And he's known as the eater of children. And once you figure all that out, you're like, oh, they're not going to bring like Christianity into this. Um, and to me, that's really important because I'm really kind of burned out on the whole Christians being the good guys thing. Um, what do you all think of like Bagul's backstory? I, I like it. I like that we don't get any more of it, honestly. Like, I think it would have been easy for this to go down a path where they're just sort of like making up all kinds of stuff about him and throwing it at us. And I, I think what we have is perfect. Like, oh yeah, Babylonian demigod. We don't, 
it's been a really long time. Not a lot of stuff has survived because people torched all of it. But he eats children. These are his symbols. Like, it's very basic, obviously very tailored to what we already see in the movie. And I think it's really effective without going overboard. Yeah. Troy, what do you think? Oh, I mean, I would have to parrot that, too. Um, it's definitely one of those things where I think the amount of information you know about him is enough. Um, I kind of going back to what you were saying before about it not being Christian. I, I do like the fact that they did mention, um, you know, he's not a demon. He's a pagan. He's a pagan God um, from what did they say. Did, I don't know if you said it from, from Babylon or Babylonian times, I think. Yeah. He's a Babylon maybe. from the Babylonian empire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I really like that. They were trying to explore. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I do not know how much of that is actually, I I'm guessing probably not real but I, I like that they made his origin um nothing to do with like you know he's not a fucking pazuzu right he's he's uh he's yeah. cool um yeah and they could have easily turned him into a demon yeah for sure i mean yes absolutely and and i really liked that they didn't and in fact i think it was either cargill or or derrickson or both of them together that eventually just insisted like we don't need another demon movie um, let's make him something different. Let's make him a pagan god, um, which I would say, uh, you know, underworld god or or demigod. Um, and I think that possibly story wise is one of the best moves that they made because I can't tell you how much I would have rolled my eyes if somebody came in like dressed like a priest with a cross and and. Oh. Like don't, don't I mean I can I won't be a hypocrite I love possession movies um but after you've seen two or three of these possession movies you've seen them all kind of you know yeah. it feels like so it's it's always good to see something different um and this is a haunted house possession thing but still it really felt fresh and different and it still feels fresh and different considering we're still getting a ton of possession movies a ton of movies you know i mean we just got an exorcist sequel this year like you know we're still we're still getting these movies and this still still feels fresh yes. even though it's 11 years old um so yeah i think it's a real i think it's one of the best movies that they made um while writing this movie and also you brought in vincent d'onofrio like so i mean that's always worth it Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Jonah suspects that the murders are part of a cult for initiation, right? Um, rather than the work of a single murderer. Um. So after that, Hannah, why don't you tell us about what's going on? Because you you really are kind of the expert on this whole thing. What's going on between Tracy and Ellison all the way up to this point? <laughs> Okay, well, she should have killed him at the beginning of the movie and before they moved, and none of this would have happened. Um, so, like you said, he did not ever tell her that um, that they were moving into a crime scene or several houses down from a crime scene. Uh, she is, like, weirdly, literally and figuratively in the dark. Like, she is usually in the bedroom asleep at night, and he's wandering around doing all this stuff, which is a little bit of imagery that I love. But it's very clear that 
she cares about him a lot, but also that their marriage is hanging on by a thread because he had one big hit with his first book about something, some true crime case in Kentucky 10 years ago. And he's chasing that ever since. I absolutely love that when he is, you know, they're having an argument not long after they've moved into this house. And she's saying like, what if, what if that was it? And he said, oh, I just need one more hit. And I love it because yeah, like a hit, like a big success, but also like a hit of drugs is how it sounds. Like he's still chasing that. And she's already threatened him that if this one quote goes bad, like the last one where I guess he pissed off uh, law enforcement, pissed off the town. He came to some bad conclusions in his book and ended up letting the killer go free because he messed up evidence, funnily enough, um, that she'll leave him and take the children. And the, the tension between them just really runs for the entire movie. And it's very, very frustrating to me that she never leaves. And I think that that is, it's understandable, but it's frustrating. And I think that's something that you know, when you talk about like, is it okay for women to be stay at home mothers or whatever, like that, that is something to take into consideration. Not what if you move into a house that has the, you know, videotapes of a Babylonian God eater or child eater God, but just in general that she doesn't really have anywhere to go. He's apparently bringing in all the money. She's taking care of these children, organizing the house, doing everything around him. As Ellison tells Angela Bettis in the cutscene, she's keeping out of his way. She's making sure that he's able to do his work. That is her entire job. And things are going worse and worse and worse for her. And she can't really leave. And I see that a lot with women my age, younger, older, especially once they've had children. If they're, they don't have their own income, they don't have any kind of, you know, that ongoing work experience, how hard it is to get away. And I was thinking about that tonight while watching this is like, she's, you know, especially if you look at the place they just moved from, she at least at some point was in a household where they were making a lot of money, but none of it's really hers because he's the one doing all of it. She is so, so trapped and it's really, really sad to watch because she's, she's absolutely the whole time going, I don't want to be here. I don't want our children to be here. I don't want our kids growing up this way, all of this. And he's just like, eh, but my career, but my hit, but I'm going to be famous, all this stuff. And I think it does a very, very good job of showing that while it's also in the background, though, like it's very formative. There's several big, important scenes where they have these big fights. But obviously, you're mostly focused on the missing children and the snuff films, which is yeah. totally reasonable but yeah, it, that does add so much to it i think it does it adds a lot I, there's a lot of family drama in this so you, i mean you've got trevor um who's also responding to the house but also like he has night terrors and he has a history of night terrors um and i think that that's really like interesting also like the children are reacting in different ways to the house but also probably to like the fact that their parents don't like each other or at least tracy doesn't like ellison at this point right um and yeah no it, i mean everything hannah said there was spot on for me 
Um, you know, the, the threat of leaving Ellison is a good, I love it when she does it. It's great. Anyone who calls out Ellison is, is great. <clears throat> but also like, like you said, like it's where would, what would she do for money? Where would her income be? She doesn't really own anything. Um, she's kind of beholden to this bumbling self-righteous idiot um who's on a collision course with fucking reality or death or something um and he doesn't like her either and they i mean the scene that really shows that is taken out which i hate but when he's describing her to to the next door neighbor it's like he thinks for a minute he's got an ally here and he's just being very dismissive of like what tracy does and her role in the house like he'd Plus, he wouldn't move her in where he knew she didn't want to be without warning her that they're in a murder house if he actually cared about and respected her. I don't think he cares about anyone. No. No. I agree. Not at all. I mean, if you, if you can't care about your wife or your kids, who the fuck do you actually care about? Besides yourself. Like, you don't care about the cops. You don't care about the victims you're talking about. I mean, I, I made a point... Um, that we were talking about tonight, I said that I think if he got his fame without writing this book, he would throw the book down immediately. Sure. Never, never write it. He's, he's not doing this for any kind of like noble cause that a lot of these, you know, a lot of these writers and, and, and this isn't a critique of true crime. Like a lot of the times that people are doing it for the cloud instead of like talking about cases and victims and, and all that. Um, that the, yeah, they're looking for fame. They're looking to piggyback off of victims for fame. And that is exactly what the hell he's doing. Um, and he doesn't care that it hurts everybody around him. Literally, like, I mean, his, his son's having more night terrors. His daughter's acting real weird about, like, the boogeyman and, and, and drawing and painting weird stuff. And his wife doesn't want to be there and doesn't, you know, is tired of being so supportive of him all the time um in his just crazy endeavors um so yeah that, that comes to a head when they find out that they're living you know she finds out that they're living in that house where it happened and yeah like she snaps she has she absolutely snaps on him and it's completely justified and it happens to be right around the time that he's losing it too because he's not ever really totally right but like he's absolutely over the time you can see him slowly losing it when he can't even like make up what's going on it doesn't i mean i don't think he actually would care about the truth but he wants to figure out something to put in a book and nothing makes sense nothing is in the realm of reality for him and he can't figure it out and it, it drives him up a wall. Um, and it also gives him a drive to to keep going because he, he thinks he's got the big one. He's got the big case. Blows Kentucky blood way out of the water. You know, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's this madness building between the family and in him as the haunting uh, gets, gets bigger and bigger. Um, so, yeah. so he it's a weird moment in the film um 
but it's it's possibly the best because I feel like if they they didn't if they did it any kind of like in a wrong way that it wouldn't it would have been creepy it could have been hokey and that's when he's going through with the bat and looking at the children or like look at you know he's going around and the children are all around him right and they're running in different rooms and everything I think that is a scary scene I don't know about you all yeah it's really creepy uh, yeah 100 percent but I feel like, do, do you all agree that, like, if this was made in a, a wrong way, it would have just been kind of hokey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For there's sure. Ton- yeah, there's tons of stuff about this movie. If it was really done any differently, it, it would not be nearly as scary. What do you all um, think of that? that? That's a huge set piece in this film. What do you all think of that 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 whole piece of him going through the house and then just watching him? But just... You can even see it, like you know, you you see something out of the corner of your eye, and you think you saw it, but you just don't know. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> happening all the time in this scene, um, and you could see it happening real time with him. And I think that's what's so scary about it. But what what do you all think is so effective about this scene? I mean, I think the music still is part of it. That it is always so creepy it's just it's so otherworldly it doesn't sound like anything that you can really put your finger on and then yeah like you said the idea that there's something like you sometimes you'll get a sense that like oh something moved out of the corner of your eye and you'll look and there's nothing there and this it's like no well yeah there was there was a little dead ghost child there yeah and yeah i think it's that's really really fucking creepy always think about it when i like know there's a cat right there (laughs) right it it runs by and you're like what what was that oh it's a cat but just imagine that. But if it was just a ghost kid, like well, right. tonight, the one where um, he holds up one of the pictures of Bagul to the window and then pulls it down and Bagul is in the bushes out and back. I knew that was coming. I've seen it 20 times. It was also a really obvious setup for a jump scare. And I still jumped. Like it's just it's very, very effective in the way that it's done. He's so creepy looking. Yes, yeah. yes. And that that brings up the point of the jump scares in this movie. Troy, you really like you said you like the jump scares in this movie. Um tell us what do you like yeah. about them? Um so one thing I like about the jump scares aside from like them themselves, I like that they seem more of like a they they kind of take a back seat to the stuff that is truly scary about the movie. Um we've had we've had this discussion a lot. I don't necessarily hate jump scares. I just hate when that is really the only thing that the movie is relying on to be scary. Um, and this movie doesn't rely on those, but I feel like they're nonetheless still very good, especially like um, not even necessarily jump scary stuff, but like for instance, um, uh, when Ethan Hawke is looking away and then Bagul moves in the uh, like oh. on the screen and then he moves back and he's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> or, uh, you know, just when he's coming out of the shadows and things of that nature. Or even the kid, you know, those those little fucking dead kids. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just I, I I can appreciate them more because I'm, I think because of what I just said of where I, I'm not it's I'm truly not getting in the movie that they're wholly relying on these things to carry it 
And so I can just be, you know, have fun with those and say, oh, well, that, those are fine. I'm the, you know, uh, you know, bring them on. Um, and, and I think they're just nice little additions um, because it, not only the not it's not only the it's not only the the snuff films that are you know what are scary it's that and and Ethan Hawke's performance and the you know how unnerving the fucking little girl is with with painting and you know trying to you know or connecting with you know uh, Bogul, I, I suppose, or oh, what is she? What does she call Mister Boogie? No, Mr. everyone Boogie. else, everyone calls him Mister Boogie, right? Yeah, I think yeah. Okay, um, yeah. So I think it's just one of those things where generally, like the entire movie is done so well that it's just a nice little addition to have these jump scares in the movie, and I. Um, it's one of those times that if I'm being honest with you, these jump scares do seem in some way similar to something that would be in a movie of lesser quality that simply relies on them. But since this movie is not of lesser quality, it is a very high quality. Um, it doesn't detract from the movie to have them. And so that, I think that's why I can appreciate them. And I like them when I, when I watch this. See, one of my only big critiques of this movie is the ending jump scare. Um, oh yeah just because i i think once we get to the ending i think it's chilling enough what we got yeah um that we we don't need that like last minute jump scare i mean it's it's the first time that it happens with bagul it's not breaking the fourth wall right because you're looking at ellison it's a pov um but ellison's dead by this point so he's looking at us and i think that kind of I think I don't really care for that as much as I did the the first one that makes him him jump out of his skin even like so that's my only big critique when it comes to the jump scare stuff besides that I don't mind jump scares personally um I think that they can be used to you know be put in place of like true fear but mm-hmm. I think that there's a, a time and a place to do a jump scare effectively and I think that this film does it sometimes. Like like Hannah said with the, the picture, I consider that a jump scare. And uh, that is one that, that is effective. You know, even if it is kind of predictable, it's still effective. So, yeah, I agree with what you said, Troy. Yeah. Uh, so back to it. Um, so at this point, like Ellison realizes something something bad is going on i'm trying real hard not to say something sinister is going on <laughs> i really don't yeah. want to be that guy uh <laughs> uh it's clear that something sinister is going on <laughs> um and he talks to deputy so and so and deputy so and so tries all i love this scene he tries all these like to explain all these rational ways that ellison could just be you know imagining it or whatever and then when he asks ellison asks him if he believes in ghosts he's like oh yeah no i uh, i do yeah no i wouldn't spend a whole night in here (laughs) (laughs) so funny i love him so much (laughs) yeah and it's like oh yeah okay man like (laughs) you but he's also trying to be like kind of like i'm not the jackass who bought the house asshole like (laughs) you were the jackass that bought the house and now you're paying for it um 
but you know by by this point it's clear that something's going on they've had their argument everybody knows that this house is is the house mm-hmm. and ellison runs out and he takes all the stuff uh, all the films and and the projector and everything it really kind of hurts me a little bit to see all this stuff burn um it hurts a little bit of my soul but you know i get it but he lights it on fire and watches it and snaps at his wife and says like go you know just just get it ready and even at this point when 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 his family is truly actually threatened he can't get up and go like get a child ready pack a bag yeah nothing nothing he he just stands there and looks dramatic at the goddamn fire like it's gonna keep burning buddy go um why would he do that that's what his wife's for she comes out and says go get the kids ready get the car packed yeah and then when she just stands there looking at him he just goes go and yells at her and it really it shows more of who he is as a person that we already kind of know um but they pack up they leave um they get pulled over by you know fred thompson one more time but he lets them off because he's just so clearly happy that they're leaving yes um (laughs) he promises that there's not going to be another book which i actually kind of believe that there's not going to be another book but he does still talk to d'onofrio again um and at that point d'onofrio is even like what the fuck are you doing buddy um what kind of book are you having and are you writing and it's it's pretty clear that something weird's going on that's when we get to the extended cut um of each of these movies and i really like the use of that right like we get extended cut or director's cut of movies so i really like the movie term in there um and that's when you find out the missing children have been doing it the whole time and then they go up they do the little shh and then they disappear and at this point I really think it's interesting the way they do it because this whole time, right? Like that we're watching this movie, Ellison's a drunk or he's high on caffeine or something like something to make him twitchy and weird and sweaty. Um, (laughs) And he's getting that way during this. And you don't think, I didn't think anything about it the first time um, until you see that glowing, that glowing poison in his drink. And you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. Like I just, kind of thought he was drunk and losing it i don't know did you all think that too yeah the first time i think it was like when you see the ghostbusters liquid or whatever in the bottom of that cup that i finally realized it That's yeah what it reminds me of every time it's ghostbusters yeah i could see that i could see it too it's just funny yeah i think that they did a really good job of developing that to to trick you because like i wasn't thinking anything about it i was like yeah that's just bumbling drunk ellison um but it's it's revealed that his daughter had poisoned him and you find that they're all tied up she you know cuts them up hannah pointed out that there's paint brushes and cups next to every one of them which is a Mm. kind of chilling uh kind of like you know prop detail there um and yeah they die they die and they become the new one they become the new film in the box um when you all first watched this did you all think 
that like it was going to be like a typical horror movie where someone would overcome and defeat the curse oh yeah <laughs> i did <laughs> what about you troy yeah i mean honestly like i said before i you know i did before i saw the movie i i thought you know i do remember thinking about this like i remember a, a while back i was well this is just going to be your standard you know haunted house ghost demon i don't know what in a movie and yes um well you know honestly i was leaning between yeah they're going to do it or it could you know be the other cliche thing of they think they beat the monster and no they don't beat the monster um i i think i prefer a unhappier ending in it, uh, ending anyways um yeah i prefer so, the ending that we got for sure yes 100 percent um I'm I'm with you all. I didn't think that uh, it would it would it would have this kind of ending, and uh, it might be one of the first ones that really affected me, and it might be one of the first ones that really shit like made me go, "Huh, what is with these movies doing this?" and made me realize, "Oh, J horror influenced American horror so much um, in this time to create these like kind of unstoppable curses." Um. So yeah, that is sinister. So let's get into this, um, real quick. Um, let's get into the budget. The budget was three million dollars, wow, which we're low. That's incredibly low for what we got for the quality that we got. Um, and and to be fair, Blumhouse is actually pretty good for that. They'll they'll give you complete control of your film but they're only going to give you three million dollars um and the film was a massive success it made 87.7 million dollars on a three million dollar budget like that's astronomical <laughs> when it yes. comes to um how it did um generally it's it's received pretty well um it's got a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes so for a horror movie like this. That's pretty good. Um, it's got an average IMDb rating of a 6.2, I believe. 6.8 now um, out of 10. Um, so, yeah. Let's get into our final thoughts of this movie. And let's give our ratings. I'll go first on this. Um, I love this movie. To the point where I'm going to get Bagul symbol tattooed on me at some point. Um, I think it's incredibly clever in the way that it creates a mythology. Um, I think for a haunted house possession movie, it could have been very bland. And where it's bland, it's filled with depth. Um, it's well shot. It's well written. I have very, very few things to critique about this movie um like troy said like it's real super eight and they took great care to make sure that it, it felt and was real um so yeah i'm gonna give this a 10 out of 10 for me uh personally this movie is as close as possible as i could think of to about a masterpiece when it comes to like modern possession haunted house horror um so hannah yeah, I also really, really like this one. Um, 
it's not as scary to me anymore, but it still freaks me out. I've seen it enough that I've got it memorized when Bagul is going to be on screen. Like it's okay for me when he's in pictures or whatever, that doesn't bother me too much. But when he's like in the flesh in the movie, I still can't look at him. His face fucking freaks me out. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's such clever creature design. And that alone is pretty unusual. You know, a, a long time ago, it didn't take that much to scare me with horror movies, but now nothing gets to me that much. And even though I still know what's going on in this, it still does. And to me, that is a mark of a, a really successful movie, if nothing else. But also the performances are really good. The child actors are really good. And that's not something that you get all the time. I love Deputy So-and-So. Every time he says uh, snakes don't have feet, I just crack up. It's just my favorite fucking thing. There's so much really going on in it and so many kind of messages that you can draw from it that that's one of the things that I like. That's to me, even with horror movies, even if the quality isn't as good on top, if there's stuff that you can like draw out and talk about, that's what I am looking for in a movie. And this has that. So I really, really enjoy it. Uh, side note, I was so mad at Ethan Hawke after this for like years that I couldn't hardly watch him in other movies. I would look at him like, oh my God, it's Ellison Oswald. I'm going to kill him. Hmm. Kind of over it now, but still. Oh, no, he's so good in this. Uh, for me, not as not as high up there as you, but still pretty high. Uh, I'd say eight and a half out of ten. All right. So, um, yeah, I, I think my expectations, this is one of those times where my expectations were um, completely obliterated. Uh, it was they, they, it was, just, was so much higher than I was expecting them, you know, uh, to go as far as enjoyment is concerned. Um, just crazy. I, I've, I've come to, you know, learn to like more movies like that, I guess. However, this was not what I was at all expecting, and I was so pleasantly surprised when I finally watched this years ago. And on subsequent viewings up until yesterday, um, it still holds up greatly, and I can imagine it would still hold up for years and decades. Um, uh, basically, all the stuff I wanted to say about it that I would say now, I said before, right at the beginning, yes, it's fantastic. Um, I feel like this is a kind of a, almost a gateway into more extreme horror. Um, I think it it covers the, the kind of uh, a spooky jump scare stuff incredibly well. Um, and <laughs> I I really wish there you know someone would make a Sinister Three. Um, I do like Sinister Two. There's I definitely have a lot more critiques about that movie than I do uh, this one. Um, but as far as this movie's concerned, I, I, uh, I absolutely fucking loved it. It's in a world of, you know, conjuring adjacent movies. This one, uh, somehow broke the mold while, um, I think it's probably a critique. I think it came across like it was going to be kind of a clone of those movies and it was absolutely not. And, um, I think everyone should... Uh, seek this out if they've never watched it before. It's fucking so good. Uh, my rating for it would be a 9 out of 10. 
Yeah, and I want to bring up the sequel because I think that might be the only thing we disagree on. I did not like the sequel at all. Uh, yeah, it's... But how, the, how the fuck did that kid get your string up those fucking people above the wall? How did that scrawny-ass little kid raise grown people up? There are so many fucking things... Oh... It just bothers me. Every it time breaks the it. rules. That's the, that's what gets me. Like the rules established in the first movie are broken in the second. I just I don't like that. They made it into just like more of a saw type movie. Yeah, yeah, in you're like there. To, I did like the snow death. I thought that one was pretty jarring. That one really kind of fucked with me when I saw it because it wasn't bloody and gory, but goddamn, was it cruel? That's a that is a slow, cruel, fucking death. It's been so long; I don't even really remember. Um, all all the I remember is the rats in the stomach. Oh yeah, it's, it's so elaborate. That's why I don't yes. like it as much, is because these those are elaborate, whereas the ones in this movie were so straightforward which by the way did you know like for the underwater stuff those all those actors were underwater including bagul okay. every single goddamn one of them were they had divers right. they had divers in the pool to make sure they got air but uh bagul his actor wore weighted shoes so he would just be in the pool just wild huh. dedication um yeah no but i will say that if you don't watch anything else just like the whole scene in the second one where they're buried in the snow, but their heads are uncovered and they have frostbite and they're just slowly freezing to death. And you see the mother, like her eyes move to the side and you see like fog come out of her mouth. Cause you think she might be dead, but she's not. It's it, that is pretty unnerving to me, but the, yeah, but aside from that, they're just way too over the top for me as far as the yeah. deaths are concerned. Yeah. All right. That is sinister. Uh, so, for November, Troy, what is your pick for us? So, for November, um, I have mentioned this before, and I want to go back to Julian Sands. I want <laughs> to revisit him in another movie to which he's also a piece of shit, but he is a lot more of a confident piece of shit in this movie and that movie is warlock okay yeah oh, i've not seen this oh yeah he's right. <laughs> yeah i love this fucking movie. i'm very curious to see um <laughs> see what your thoughts are on it for sure yeah we're, we're doing a lot of julian sands this year it seems yeah mm -hmm. yeah i i think julian sands has been on the mind for a lot of this <laughs> yeah yes yeah because of all the tragedy stuff yeah that's a good pick. I like that pick. I like Warlock. It's been a while since I've seen it. Well, so that's been Sinister. We'll do Warlock next time. Uh, until then, happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, and I'm Steven. I'm Hannah. I'm Troy. And we'll see you next time.